Man, I got to say, normally preaching, we would tend to say good morning, but it's not morning. Good afternoon to everyone. It's great to see you. Um, those that I've never met you before, but getting a chance to talk with you, it's been a pleasure for my wife and I. First of all, we want to thank Pastor Chris and all of you for welcoming us into your space. And what's beautiful is that no matter the time, no matter the place, we're gathering around one person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want him to be made much of. I'm sure you guys here want to see Wilmington impacted, gospel-saturated, uh, glorious nutrients of the gospel to impact everyone here. In the same way in the area that we are now in, we want to see the gospel just explode and continue to reach people. And so we want to make much of him. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Uh, today, and it's very interesting. Um, it's sad the things that have happened last yesterday and last night, and then in this text, there's going to be a concept that I believe that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling us to as a body, as a body of believers. So Ephesians chapter four, verses one through six, Paul writes, "Therefore I." The prisoner in the Lord urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. There is the story of this little pygmy, this little teenage pygmy who is standing over the corpse of a huge rhinoceros. Those two things don't go together. A little pygmy and a rhinoceros, but the rhinoceros is dead. And so a man walks by and he notices this pygmy standing over this rhinoceros and he's like, did you kill that? He was like, yes, sir, I killed it. He said, uh, you did that by yourself? Well, he didn't ask him by himself, but he's still trying to figure out, man, how did you do this? This is not right. He said, what did you kill, him, kill this rhinoceros with? He said, with my club. And the man now, he's really confused. He's saying, like, so how big was your club? The pygmy said, it was about 100 of us. Um, <laughs> uh, so in other words, he was surrounded by folk who had the same belief system and work together so that they could handle being attacked by a rhinoceros. These little pygmies were unified and had one purpose. So here's a question I have for us today. What does unity look like today within the body of Christ, the church? What does it look like to be unified? And so now when I look at the body of Christ and I see what's happening, not just in America, but around the globe, my heart is very encouraged. Because the truth is, Jesus promised to build his church and he's doing it. He is doing it. But I'm also discouraged when I look at the things that's taking place within, in our world, and even within the body of Christ, there is a lot of disunity. Now, all we have to do is, we don't have to really come up with anything. All we have to do is look closely. We can divide over any and everything, for example. We divide over political affiliations. Now, I'm not about to get political on you. Don't worry. 
but we could literally be on this side and vote and think that I'm voting based on Jesus and have a disdain for those on the other side. So much so that we would hate. We see this in the news. It's clear. We even divide over what I believe is the most shallow thing about a human, how much melanin or lack thereof I have in my skin. We divide over this. And all we have to do is stop and look in America. We still struggle with this because we develop caricatures about the other. Right. We don't see people holistically viewed as being made in the image of God. Evidence Dayton, evidence El Paso that we diminish the Imago Dei in people and we some for some reason, I know it's the enemy, where we have this hate and we wanna deal with the other because they're not like me. We divide over whether to vaccinate your child or not, right? And look down on people who vaccinate or who don't vaccinate. We, we divide over do, should we homeschool our children or not? What neighborhood, what side of the town we should live in or not? Do we move in the city or move to the suburbs? We divide over any and everything. If we are a divided body, how are we going to do what Jesus commanded us to do? And that's make disciples. See, I'm thinking about this because Jesus gave a mandate. Go and make disciples of some nations? No, all nations. And so there's people to be reached. But if we're fighting one another, even within the body, how are we now going to link arms and say, let's go? Because there are people who need to hear this wonderful message. So in this book, Paul is the author, and he's writing from prison to a people to show them that Jesus Christ is God's instrument of reconciliation. But he's also telling them something else. He's telling the church that the church is Christ's instrument of reconciliation in the world. So early on in this letter, Paul prayed that we may have a better understanding of what God has done for us in Christ. He also prayed that Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we may understand the massive size of Christ's love for us. Now, in these verses, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, he wants his readers and us to know that they must be unified and work together. Let me repeat that. We must be unified and work together. We see this with the disciples. Oh, it's beautiful with the disciples. Jesus took one guy who worked for the state, loved the state, got rich off of the state, and he took a dude who hated the state, uh, would rail against the state, wanted to destroy the state in Matthew and Simon the Zealot, and he brought them together. You and I are sitting here today because those two guys whom Matthew 3.14 says that he called them apostles and he sent them out to preach. We're here today because of their faithfulness. They were unified. The disciples were unified. We, we see Paul and his disciples, Timothy, right? He would tell the Corinthian church, uh, be imitators of me. And then he says, I'm sending Timothy to you. Close relationship. So we see unity within this body, and he calls us to embody this unity as well. So this afternoon, I, I want us to see a couple of things from the text. The first thing I want us to see is the new humanity in earthly life, verses 1 through 3. The new humanity in earthly life. And the second thing I want us to see is the basis for unity in verses 4 through 6. So the new humanity in earthly life and the basis for unity. So this afternoon, I want to borrow from one of the great bands of all time, Maze featuring Frankie Beverly, and speak from this subject, We Are One. Before going further, let us pray.
Heavenly Father, um, again, this is not about any earthly messenger, but your word is open and your, and your message is perfect and pure and holy and it is what we need. Paul would tell us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that your word is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so, Lord God, as your word is opened, speak to us that we may go out and obey what your word says, Father. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's look at the first point, the new humanity and earthly life. Let's, let's read verses one through three again. Paul says, therefore I, and if you have your Bible and you want to underline it, whatever you want to do, Highlight this phrase, the prisoner in the Lord. Urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So early on in this letter, Paul explains to his readers that they play an important role in God's plan to sum up everything in Christ in heaven and on earth. In chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. Notice what he says next. Paul says, as a plan for the right time to bring together in Christ, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Also in chapter 2, he talks about the diversity that exists within the body of Christ, the church, and, 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 it's uni and the church is unified, and this unity accomplishes two things. First, it restores the original unity of God's creation in Christ. It restores it. Second thing, uh, uh, and, and in this unity, excuse me, of this, of this um, within the body of Christ, there is one new man, and this one new man is made up of both Jew and Gentile. Now, that's key. Think about it. This church who, where, and Paul would talk about this in chapter 2, where Jews and Gentiles clashed. Now he's taken these two polar opposites and he brought them and put them in one body. Unity. And, and the second thing it shows us is that it reveals God's beauty to the destructive spiritual powers in chapter 3. Going back, God has created one new man, Ephesians 2.15, and the, the word for new is the word kainos. It's the word kainos, and this word speaks of being an original, something never seen before. Mm. Something never seen before. Now, while this is true, the people of God are part of a divine dwelling place that is still under construction. So we, ain't made, we hadn't arrived, y'all. We have not arrived. We are still under construction because at the end of chapter 2, this is what Paul says, that we are being joined together that we're growing into a holy temple in the Lord and are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. So we are being worked on by the power of the spirit because we are now in Christ. Now, in these verses we have before us, Paul has given us some general but practical ethical admonitions for God's people to be unified. So Paul begins verse one by saying, I, a prisoner of the Lord. So Paul was in prison physically in prison when he wrote this. Now, this is interesting to me because you and I, we will do everything we can and by right to avoid prison, not trying to go. No way, no how. And 
our mindset, if you know anyone in prison like I do, the mindset is those of us here on the outside must do something for that person on the inside to encourage them. This is not what, what Paul is doing. Paul is locked up, chained to a Roman soldier. Not in the, in, in the even though prisons are terrible in America, but you make them nice. You know, you may have a bed and, you know, you're going to get three squares a day and you got all these, some amenities. Paul didn't have any of this. And yet, he's in this situation writing to people on the outside to do what? To encourage them. Notice what Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. And by the way, we butcher and just do some damage to chapter uh, to verse 13 of chapter 4. But this is what Paul writes in verse 12. He says, I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In other words, Paul is like, it doesn't matter my situation. I'm going to make it. I know what to do. He says, in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Verse 13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. No matter my situation, Paul says, Christ strengthens me. And because of him, I'm able to do whatever situation I find myself in. And so in our text, Paul here is dealing with ethics or how we should obey God. Paul is encouraging them like this is what it looks like to obey. And he goes through this in chapters four through six, because in chapters one through three now, he's, he tells us what God has done for us in Christ. No, because God has done this for us, now there's a way we must respond. He said to the people of God that they ought to live worthy of the calling you have received. Live worthy. In chapter two, verses one and two, the people of God once walked in transgressions and sins. Now they must walk in the good works God has intended for them. And so this living worthy of the call, their calling points to conversion, the point at which they heard and believed the gospel. And because of this, God of his own initiative, he calls people to himself. This is not something that we as humans do. You don't white knuckle it to be right with God. Like, let me go out there and cut enough grass for my neighbor or, or let, let, let me go out there and... Uh, clean a person's house or, or whatever you can come up with. If I just do these things then I will be made right with God. No, God of his own volition, he initiated towards you and I while we were dead in trespasses and sins. What can a dead person do? Nothing. But chapter two says he made us alive because he has done this for us. Now there is this response. Our love towards him. We don't love him first. He loved us first. And because now of his love towards us and our love towards him, we want to please him. We want to do things that make us much of him. This is a free gift. God saves us no matter our socioeconomic status or our ethnicity. I praise God because America can tell me that I'm less than. I'm three-fifths of a human. But he accepts me. Russell, I love you. You're mine. You're my son. Doesn't matter if I'm born in the projects or born with a silver spoon in my mouth. He accepts me. And this is what the body is made up of that the Ephesians, that Paul wrote the Ephesians, the book of the, uh, uh, the letter to the Ephesians to. And it's the same for you and I today. And because we have now have fellowship with God, we have hope. And this hope has a future aspect to it. This is not just hope that I will have my best life now 
or that I would live in the community that I always wanted to live in or get the car that I wanted. This hope is to have a share in the future establishment of God's kingdom at the time when Jesus returns. He's coming back, y'all. And if you like me, you prayed after seeing the tragedy, come Lord Jesus. But he's coming back. But until that time, we as believers are to live worthy of the calling that we have received. In verses two through three, he describes what living as one new man looks like. He says that they must live, we must live among each other with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now to have humility is to look at yourself in a low way, uh, in a low way, not to exalt oneself. In scripture, uh, God, you, we always see that God, he does not, he does not oppose those who are humble, but he opposes those who are proud. He welcomes the humble, opposes those who are proud. My favorite preacher of all time, uh, who's now with the Lord is Gardner C. Taylor. And he spoke of humility in a way that I had never heard, especially in light of Jesus. He said these words, he says, he who did not need to humble himself had no reason to humble himself did. We who have every reason to humble ourselves will not. Jesus, Philippians 2, he humbled himself. He didn't have to. We who are the created being uh, who should humble ourselves, we refuse to. We won't do it. Humility. Then Paul mentions gentleness. See, gentleness is to be taken in connection with humility. And it's the quality of not being overly impressed by one's sense of self-importance. It's almost like someone said, get, get, get over yourself. Like, you're not that important. Doesn't mean you aren't important, but the way we think of ourselves can be just over the top. See, humility and gentleness taken together refers to the attitude that recognizes one's true position before God and is willing to be gracious to others, even when circumstances may not allow it. But seeing ourselves in light of the presence of God we don't stand up, we fall on our faces. And as we relate to one another, we then relate to one another with gentleness and humility. Then he mentions patience. And this points to being able to bear, under, bear up under provocation, being patient. Now, I, I don't know how many of you guys do this. You pray for patience, right? And as soon as you pray for patience, what happens? You put in a situation where you got to be patient and it don't feel good. It does not feel good patience and then Paul mentioned bearing with one another in love and and this means being able to put up with something harmful or annoying and this is not grudging tolerance gritting your teeth no 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 this is bearing with and forgiving one another and then finally Paul says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace he calls for unity that the spirit has given them despite their differences Despite differences, I, this is not in my notes, but I'm thinking about this. We tend to flock to sameness, homogeneity. We want to be around things that are like us. But I believe God has a different picture in mind. 
because Revelation 7 and 9 will blow up that paradigm because I've often said this and my wife has heard it. I think I may be in, in the new heavens and the new earth, probably next to someone who is speaking Swahili, someone who is speaking Mandarin. I'm not going to change into some otherness. I will be the color I am, but next to a brother or sister who is authentically who they are, but changed to be able to be in God's presence and the diversity of that day. Oh, man, it's going to be something beautiful. I don't, I don't have a picture of it in my, I, I got a picture in my mind, but I know my mind is insufficient to think about what God has planned for you and I because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we ought to make every effort to be unified. This is a call for oneness. See, on one level, the church is already unified because of the ghost of God, the spirit of God. He has unified us. When through Jesus Christ, he tore down those barriers that divide us. He has done this. Now the glue or the bond of this unity is peace. Peace is what preserves the church's unity. Over 30 years ago, my, my younger brother, um, he broke his arm. And so this is in the age, early 80s, when breakdancing was, uh, was, was, was big. And so that morning, I'm the oldest, and, and it was a park right out from where we stayed. And so everybody get, somebody got the boom box, I'm bringing the cardboard. Because you can just you can you can break dance on grass, uh, you're not going anywhere. And so I, I, I go out to the park, and my younger brother says, "Like, can I go with you?" I said, "Come on, come on." And so I'm out there, and as a big brother, you know, you're trying to, you know, you want to play and, and do what you do. I'm trying to break dance. I'm trying to learn the spins, but I'm also trying to keep an eye on my brother. Well, he ran. He was five years old. He ran to the swings, and so he runs over to the swings. I'm telling him to be careful. And I go back to doing what I'm doing. I notice when I turn around that he's swinging. And I notice he's going higher and higher. And so I just tell him, like, look, don't go too high and don't jump. I turn around. Well, you know what he did. He going as high as he could and he jumps. I just look up and this little bitty body is way in the air. And there's a big oak stump that was probably about this high and wide. And so he, he jumped. And he obviously he came to the left and he lands with his elbow here on the on the stump, broke his arm in two places. We had to go immediately to the hospital. And he just cried and just drugged that arm. Now, without the doctor intervening that day, his arm would still be crooked and he would be unable to use that arm if the doctors didn't intervene. But this doctor understood the problem. And he came in with screws to connect the bones, connect what used to be broken, holding those bones together. See, God has given us a scalpel of his word in order to identify the sin that results in broken relationships. So we have the word. The Holy Spirit is like those screws that brings and holds together that which is broken. We have that in the body. He has called us to unit to unity. And this is, is um, exemplified in the new humanity in earthly life because we know that our relationships were once broken. But the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, has brought us together. So we display this new humanity on the earth. And finally, the basis for this unity in verses 4 through 6. Again, Paul says, he says, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope at your calling, 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So here, Paul gives a series of short statements that begin with the number one. And these statements focus on the church body, the spirit, the Christian hope, the Lord, God the Father, the faith, and baptism. This, what he gives here is the theological basis for unity in their diversity. We see that there's diversity with the one God. Paul points to one spirit, one Lord, one Father. He shows us the diverse ways in which this diversity is expressed. One body, one faith, and one baptism. And this unity expressed in diversity is seen as you keep reading chapter 4, you see it in verses 7 through 16. The gifts that uh, God has given to the church. All these uh, variety of gifts and working together so that Christ will be exalted in the midst of his church. He says that there is one body. God created this body through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, a death that tore down the enmity between Jews and Gentiles and reconciled us both to God. And we now have, even in our diversity, all of us have access to one God through one spirit that lives in you and in me. Peter also says, I mean, excuse me, Paul also says that you have been called to one hope. Again, this points to an eschatological hope. This is just not hope here and now. Now, we do have hope here and now that God would, I, I pray, I, I really do pray that in a mighty way that the Lord Jesus by his spirit would just impact us right here on the earth and allow us to see things that we had not seen where we've seen all of this evil and all of this divide that he would do something mightily. I do have that hope, but my ultimate hope is that he will come and make all things new. This is the eschatological hope. See, prior to this, we had no hope and were without God in the world. But now, because of the shed blood of Jesus, God has rescued us from our dire situation, making us a part of his people and reconciling us to one another. It's because of this that we have hope. Next, Paul uh, points to one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Again, the emphasis is on one, not on three. The Lord here is the same Lord uh, whom he serves, which is Jesus Christ. He is the one at the center of God's purposes in the universe, not me, not you. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession right now for you and for me. He is Lord of all, not Nero. Jesus is Lord of all, not any ruler in Africa, not any ruler in Afghanistan or Pakistan, not any ruler here in the United States, not any ruler in South America nor Canada. Jesus is Lord of all. One faith. See here, Paul is speaking of the body of teaching that, that Christians believe, the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Then there's one baptism. Now, based on the context, Paul is not talking about the mode in which we baptize people, but he is speaking of people being immersed in his spirit. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, Paul writes these words. He says, For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ. For those of you who were baptized in the Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, 
male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Here we see the unity of Christians across boundaries of ethnicity, social class, and gender. Why? Because of common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this being clothed with Christ is a metaphorical reference to baptism. And then finally in verse 6, Paul talked about one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all. As believers, we have access to the Father through the Spirit. God is over all in the sense that he created all things. He named all the tribes of the universe and subjected everything to Christ. He is summing up all things in Christ and works all things to accomplish his will. I was sitting there just a few moments ago praying uh, as we had silent prayer, saying, like, I don't know, God, if you're sovereign and you are. I, I can't wrap my mind around why did this happen. But then I thought about the book of Job. If you know about Job, Job is, is going through it. I don't know if any of us, I pray we never do. This brother went through it. And, uh, and it's like God offered him up. Satan, wh where are you going? I'm going to and fro on the earth. And he says, have you considered my servant Job? He says, you, you, you ain't going to let me touch him. You got a hedge around him. He says, mess with him. You just can't kill him. And the rest of those chapters, Job just goes through it. And so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, God, if you're sovereign over suffering, if you, if you could stop this, why didn't you? But then I have to think of this. As much as from a human in my finite mind, knowing is true because your word says it, and it shows us that you're sovereign over pain and suffering and calamity, you've got to be using it in some way according to your purposes. You're working it out. I, I, I just don't, I don't know it, uh, but I know he's accomplishing everything according to his will. And we have to see the same thing within the church, right? No matter how big a fellowship is or church is or how large, like he is working things out. He is accomplishing things for his, for his purposes and his will. Man, it's beautiful that the unity God has accomplished in Christ. And we have been reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. And the church is the instrument Christ is using to bring reconciliation to the world. I think this is what's driving my wife and I in church planting. We know that he's using the church to reconcile people in the world. That he will use us for that. In order for the church to accomplish this. There has to be unity within the body. In 2002, there's an urban movie that came out. It's called Drumline. And if you saw Drumline, you know Drumline is about the story of this, this drummer who was supposed to be nice with the sticks, right? And he knew he was nice. So much so he saw himself as above the band. Like, the band needs me. Like, if I ain't with the band, then we are terrible. We suck. But the band director had a different mindset and his band leaders had a different mindset. So what did they do? They sat him down and he couldn't stand it. Like he, he, it hurt him. And if you saw the end of the movie, he realized like, oh, through the movie, he realized like, no, they are right. Like, yeah, I may be nice, but I need them just as much as they need me. But what made the movie for me is really the statement of the band director. 
the band director from day one would say of the band, one band, one sound. One band, one sound. In order for there to be unity in the body of Christ, we must all be focused on going where the spirit is going. One body, one faith, one baptism. We must all have God's perspective and his perspective must govern our thinking and our behavior. Why is this important? Because the unbelieving world is watching. They're watching us. They're watching how we relate to one another as Christians, how we even treat those who are non-Christian. How do we treat the, the same-sex community? How do we treat the, the couple that's not married but living together? How do we treat the single mom who has multiple uh, fathers for the different children? How do we treat the person who lives on the other side of the tracks? The world is watching how we do that. In order for us to be a witness, let's act like family. Because here's the truth. I've never seen you guys a day in my life. But as of being with you today, I realize we have spiritual brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your call to unity for us. And um, I pray, Lord God, that we would embody embody these characteristics uh, people Lord God who love you and love what you love having your perspective may we see the world in which we're living yes it's dark and it's hard but it is the world in which you are working and you're using us as your people to saturate the world this globe with gospel nutrition and I pray, Lord, as we get out into the world and we work, not just on a day like today on Sunday where we corporately gather, but the Monday through the Saturday in our neighborhoods, in the grocery stores, at the malls and the restaurants, that people would sniff out the fact that there's something different about us and ask us, like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? Use us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.